Good morning. Our reading today comes from Ruth, chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. And don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said, You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered and it amounted to about an epah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten her nuff. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. 
Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until they finished harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvesters were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Thanks, Michelle. May I add my welcome to those who have gone before me. Hello, everybody, and hello to those online. We have some challenges in front of us this morning as we continue in our five festal garments series. This morning, we come to the garment of kindness. The challenge is we've just heard from an awesome story. Ruth, and I'd love to spend all morning just talking about the story. In fact, I'd like to spend a few weeks, but we can't do that. We've got to do this book in one day, and I love the story. Challenge number two is I need to speak to you about kindness. I don't think I'm that kind of person. So it's, it's a double challenge. I love stories. I've got to grow in kindness. But maybe it's a good thing to be here in Ruth because... If I need to grow in kindness, then coming to a story like this is probably a good idea. Many have said this is a love story, and indeed it is. It's a different kind of love story because it's a love story of kindness. It's all about kindness. Well, it's not all about kindness, but certainly kindness is a theme that dominates throughout the story. As I said, I've got to grow in kindness, and as I thought about uh, what was important to speak of today... I actually felt a little bit perplexed about what kindness is. I started having this little word conversation in my brain where I thought about kindness and generosity and gentleness and niceness and mercy and all these different things. And I went, what is it about kindness that's unique? What is it about kindness that I want to grow in? What is it about kindness that I need to share? And I've come to some conclusions, and I want to show them to you because, you see, love is a thing that flows from one to another. Love moves from one to another. And so we need to think about some of the things that aid that journey of love moving from one to another. And so I've tried to draw this out for you a little bit. Here's one way that we see love move from attraction. When there's attraction, that, that there's someone or something that almost pulls love out of you, right? You say, oh, my heart just went out to them. And this isn't a bad thing, not a bad thing at all. In fact, we heard much about this last week in Song of Songs where my lover is a delight to me. I look at you and I see these things. I enjoy how you are. There's an attraction about you that rips the love out of me. And if you are married, then attraction is an important thing. This is something to nurture and continue to, uh, to, to build into the propulsion, or sorry, the attraction of love. But we learn as we explore love, particularly in the scriptures, that it's more than attraction that causes love to flow from one to another. And so we come to understand concepts such as grace. When grace comes about, it's not that love is pulled out of you due to attraction. It's not that your heart just went out to them. It's that the heart that is in you, the lover that is in you, the character that is you, is not having love ripped out of it, but now we talk about propulsion, 
Rather than love being pulled out, it is love that is pushed out. It's not about the attractiveness or the lovability or the lovableness of the object, but the subject's inclination to love. Grace is that attribute that pushes love forward. As I read Ruth, I came to discoveries about how I think kindness works, and I think it works like this. It's when the gracious hearts, the one pushing love, overcomes obstacles that love might still find its destination. Now, my picture is incomplete because sometimes those obstacles are like walls. Sometimes love has to get over something to get there. Sometimes what love needs to do is endure great distance and great time. It's a long journey for the love to arrive. Sometimes, as you're going to see, there are distractions and attacks and other places love can get off track. What I've learned from Ruth, I want to show you this morning, is that this, this garment of kindness that we're invited to put on, kindness is the attribute that causes love to endure, move forward, and find its destination and to move beyond the object. And the first place that kindness is spoken of in this book of Ruth is in chapter 1, verse 8. And it's how this woman, Naomi, describes the way she has been treated by her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. She says, May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. Now, again, words are worth playing around with. The word used in the original language here is chesed. Uh, chesed has this idea of steadfastness, of loyal love, of redemption from trouble, maybe of overcoming obstacles. Around about the time of Jesus, some years before and some years after, the Old Testament was translated into the language of Greek. Uh, it's called the Septuagint or the LXX. And those first translators of whom most New Testament writers actually quote when they're quoting the Old Testament, when they were thinking, how are we going to translate this, this chesed word, they went with the word helios. Helios means mercy of goodwill towards the miserable. I can't help when I hear Helios or think of the gas helium, that which lifts balloons. And that idea of Helios, that mercy, that lifting of burden, that goodwill, that kind of lifts you up from what might be burdening you down. And so perhaps we start to learn that Naomi is saying to Orpah and Ruth, you have shown me loyalty, steadfastness, mercy and goodwill. This is the shape of your kindness. It's stuck with me. Because this is exactly what's happened. I'm going to recount the story for you a little bit. See, kindness in this story is a tale of where two women have remained steadfast and kind to a woman who has felt completely emptied. I'm going to read to you the first three verses. It won't be on the screen, but I'll read to you the first three verses of Ruth chapter 1. Here's what sets up the story. In the days when the judges ruled, Judges is the previous book in the Bible, if the scriptures are new to you. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Moab is nearby, 
to Judah, but they're not friends of Judah. You can go back and read Numbers. There have been wars between Judah, a part of Israel, and Moab. Not friends, just nearby. But when you're hungry, maybe you do what you gotta. So they go to Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilian also died. And the text here says Naomi, but in the original, her name is not there. It just says, and the woman was left without her sons and her husband. This is a story where we meet a bloke, and he's got a wife, and we learn his name, and we learn her name, and we learn where they're from. This is like a a shadow that got colored in. We start to see the wrinkles in their face. His name is Elimelech, her name's Naomi, got two boys, Marlon and Kilion. They got married. Oh, great. What are their wives' names? Oh, well, one of them's called Orpah, one's called Ruth. Where do they live? Where are they from? They're from Bethlehem. We get this whole family picture, and we're starting to get to know these guys. And then, boom, goes away. We go from knowing to strip down to the woman. The woman whose name is now taken away, has lost her husbands, lost her sons, has two Moabite daughters-in-law, and is in Moab in a strange land. Nameless woman in a strange land. She's kind of emptied up. Well, good news, she hears that God has come to the rescue of his people back in her homeland of Judah, and so she decides to go back there. She says to her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, girls, you need a man. Remember the time we're living in. You need security. You need your family. You need your home. So go home to mum. I can't help you. I, I provide no security. To you. I'm going back to Judah. You're Moabite. Like, there's nothing there for you. I can't provide anything for you. You may as well start again. You're absolved of this marriage covenant because your husbands are dead. The women say no. Orpah will later change her mind, but initially, no. We're sticking with you, mum. We're sticking with you. And Naomi's response to Ruth and Orpah, who could have left her at that point, is, you've shown me a great kindness. You've shown me a great kindness because what do they do? You remain and you endure. You haven't quit on me. And despite your obligation coming to an end and perhaps there being better options, your love goes on. When the wall came up, when the, the going got tough, when love got long, you're choosing to endure. The gracious love of your heart is overcoming the obstacle and it's finding its destination in me, you're staying with your enduring. And so as I try to understand kindness from Ruth, I started to build a table which will be on the screen for you. And you see, who is the kindness shower? The kindness shower is Ruth and Orpah to Naomi. What was the obstacle? The dead, the dead husbands and the families dissolved and the, not a whole lot going on here. What does kindness look like? Kindness looks like their love that remains, endures, and it's loyal beyond obligation. 
I hope you with me are learning things about kindness beyond just the nice side of it. The nice side counts, but there's so much more. And so much more there is as you continue to read through Ruth, where kindness certainly has this idea of enduring. I'm going to jump to chapter 2, verse 20. And now, now Naomi is again speaking about kindness, but she's speaking about the kindness of this man, Boaz, who we met in the reading Michelle brought to us. Boaz is the man who owns the farm where Ruth, the foreigner, has gone to collect wheat tried to fill her tummy because she's hungry, she's a stranger, she's a refugee. So here we go. Chapter 2, verse 20. The Lord bless him, says Naomi to her daughter-in-law Ruth. Boaz has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. Uh, Don't miss the developing theme here of what kindness is. He has not stopped. So I've already shown you that kindness has this idea of steadfastness and endurance. And now we get from the author of Ruth a little bit of an encouragement in that direction. Here's a picture of kindness. He's enduring. He's welcomed you and continued to welcome. He's continued to keep going. The guy's not slowing down. His love's not sprinting. His love is marathoning. It's going along. Why? Is that the case? Well, we've got to look at the story a little bit. You see, Ruth has come to Naomi. They're back in Israel, in Judah. And she said, can I go and, well, basically pick up the scraps of the farmers? So as they harvest a field, what they leave behind them, I'll pick it up as I go. And the edges that they miss on the farm, I'll get those bits as well. Can I go and do that? Naomi says, go. Go and do it at Boaz's place. So she goes to Boaz's farm. Boaz returns and sees this stranger who is gleaning, who is picking up, who is doing a little bit of farming on his property. He doesn't turn up, get out of his truck and say, who's that Sheila on my farm? No, he doesn't do that. But he does inquire of her, who is that woman? And he's told who she is. Boaz starts to demonstrate kindness from the get-go. He takes an interest. Who is that? Not who's that, Sheila. Who is that person? He provides protection. He says, yep, stay gleaning here on my farm. Don't go to strange spots. I've talked to the men who work here and I've told them they're not to tease you, they're not to harass you in any way, but to keep you safe and guard you. And uh, look, when the day gets long and you're thirsty, try our Gatorade. Have from our supplies. Now remember, we're not turning on a tap and just getting a drink. This is water that comes from a well somewhere. He's saying, use of our provision, use of our stores. It's not just you can come here. I'm interested in who you are. You can come here. We'll keep you safe and we'll keep you going. His kindness endures. Now, Ruth notices this. And as she talks to Boaz, she says in verse 10, uh, let me read this for you. Ruth bows down with her face to the ground. She's really grateful for what's going on. And she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Maybe she looks different. Maybe it's quite clear that this is a Moabite. We had ancient wars with these people. 
She's like, what? Why, are you, why are you treating me so much better than my standard, than my status? In fact, that's exactly what she's going to say, as you'll see on the screen in verse 13. She says to Boaz, may, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord? You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. You need to not let our modern day uh, appropriate niceness get in the way here. She's a foreigner. She's a Moabite. You've got to be a bit racist as you read this. All right? It's intended that you read this as something of a racist. She's saying, I'm not one of you guys. I'm not one of the covenant people. I'm not an Israelite. I'm a Moabite. I've been the enemy in a significant way. You can read about that in Numbers. Um, I do not have the standing of the people who work for you, yet you want to share your Gatorade with me. You're telling them to look after me, and you're letting me stay to do this. This is amazing favor. And did you hear what she says? She says, uh, you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. It only encourages me more when I read this kindness word that I told you is helios, to think of helium. It floats a balloon and I see a woman who is down on life at this point or down on her luck certainly saying, man, you've lifted me like blowing, I was going to say like blowing helium into my lungs, but then she might have said, you've lifted me. But, oh, you know. She says, you've given me a boost. You've spoken kindly to me. You've treated, you've seen a bigger picture of me than I see of myself. Beyond my station, you have spoken to me. And that is kind. So as I build my kindness concept and visit my little table here, on this occasion, it's Boaz who has been kind to Ruth. What's the obstacle? She's a foreigner of lesser standing. She does not have the same status as the others. He gives her favor beyond standing. He doesn't let her difference and her foreignness and her otherness get in the way or the awkwardness of it. No, his gracious love pushes through and finds its destination in taking interest, providing and protecting. Uh, he favors beyond her standing. There's a picture of kindness. Well, the third picture of kindness comes in chapter 3. This kindness that endures and kindness that favors, well, it's going to overcome again in chapter 3. Have a look at verse 10 with me. This is now Naomi speaking once again, and she is speaking. Uh, sorry, sorry. This is Boaz speaking, and he's speaking of Ruth. He says this The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater. Again, you get this idea that it hasn't stopped. My gosh, this love keeps going. It keeps progressing. I hope you see that theme in Ruth. This kindness is greater that you, than that that you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. What's Boaz talking about? What Boaz is talking about occurs a little earlier in the story. And this is kind of like the, the part of the heartwarming moment of the story, or part of the exciting part of the story is that Ruth has entrusted herself, her family, and all that she is to him. Let me tell you how that story sort of works. Uh, we might call this Ruth's big night out. At the encouragement of her mother-in-law, Naomi, she says, look, this Boaz guy could be the hope for our family. 
He's what an earlier part of the scriptures calls a kinsman redeemer. He is the one who can restore us. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. So go to him. So what does Ruth do? Well, she takes off her mourning clothes, because remember, she is a widow, and she puts on her best outfit. I don't know if they wear heels in that day. I don't know what the fashions are, but I'm just told it's her best outfit. Best outfit on, and uh, she goes to Boaz. She goes to Boaz at night. There's nothing sinister or immoral about this, but she goes to the threshing floor. He's sort of out, out in the sheds at the farm. And as he's asleep, she lays herself at his feet. Quite a submissive spot to take, you would think. He wakes up. Good grief, what is that? There's a woman at my feet. It's Ruth. She says to him, spread your cloak over me. What she's saying is, I want to enter into protective custody with you. I want to entrust my family and all that we are to your care. Now, of course, it's an act of kindness. It's an act of provision. It's an act of love that Boaz would accept. But as Boaz reads it, he says, wow, it's so kind that rather as love plays out, because remember, this isn't just about Ruth. See, what Ruth is doing as she approaches Boaz for this moment is she's seeking restoration for Naomi and the whole family. There's some things that we need to familiarize ourselves with. So Boaz is, a, is what's called a redeemer. Why is that important? Well, for the people of Israel, family name means a lot. And so there was this law in Deuteronomy. It's, it's, it's unusual. It's unusual. If you're married here, you're going to find this a little bit weird if you haven't heard of it before. So if you are married and the man dies, the responsibility of his younger brother is to marry his widow. Okay, I don't know if you're imagining younger brothers, older brothers or whatever, but it's kind of weird. The responsibility is to marry the widow and have children with her. And the children will not be the younger brother's children. They will be called the children of his older brother because he's doing a service to preserve his older brother's name in the people of Israel. And here's the wild thing. Uh, If he refuses, if the younger brother refuses, then the widow gets to take his thong off him and spit in his face. Wild stuff in the Bible sometimes. What Naomi is, sorry, what Ruth is doing as she goes to Boaz and she says, put your cloak over me, she's saying, will you take us in? Will you be cover for us? Will you redeem Naomi's Elimelech's family name? Will you look after that? Will you buy back their land? Will you preserve their family line? This isn't just about Ruth trying to shack up with someone. This is about Ruth saying, I want to entrust the rescue of me and my family to you. And Boaz says, what's kind about this is there are other options you could be distracted by. There are younger men. Some are richer, some are poorer, but there are options. But you haven't wandered left or right. Your love, driven by kindness, has found its destination. And its destination is not just me, but it's you bringing your whole family into my care. You weren't distracted. You focused your love. 
you focused your love. And so as I come back to my summary table once again, we see that the kindness here is Ruth's kindness to Boaz. The, ob- the obstacle in this case is options, which can be as disruptive as a brick wall. What does kindness look like? The full entrusting and committing the focus of love without deviation. Now, here's the thing. I've told you three stories of kindness, but there's a kindness that you could miss whilst reading Ruth. If you were to read back and see all these examples of kindness and people speaking of kindness that I've spoken of, you will see that each time a little prayer is offered, and each time that little prayer is offered, the person receiving kindness or speaking of kindness says, may God be like that too. Oh, you've shown such kindness. May God show you the kind of kindness you've shown me, says Naomi to Orpah and Ruth. May God be kind like your kind. Ah, oh, this kindness is great. May God be kind like that. It's something of a prayer. And it's not till you get to Ruth chapter 4, verse 16, that you start to see that that's exactly what's going on. Because in Ruth chapter 4, verse 16, here's what happens. The women living there in Judah, they see Naomi and she says, She has a son. And they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. What they're speaking of is the grandson that Naomi is now holding by this stage. Because guess what? Love story complete. Ruth and Boaz, they get married. They have a child. His name is Obed, and he's now in the arms of Naomi. This is a story where a woman becomes Naomi, which means sweet. She's emptied of everything, and when she returns, and everyone says, oh, look, it's Naomi. She says, I'm not Naomi anymore. I'm Mara, because Mara means bitter. I'm emptied. And now, from woman to Naomi to Mara, she's now great-great-grandma of King David. Family name restored. Hope restored. Sweeter than sweets once more. In my summary table for the last time, who shows kindness? God shows kindness to Mara. Not just to Naomi Mara, but to all Mara. To all who might feel bitter and emptiness. What does it look like? It looks like redemption, where God brings back. Where God restores. Where God rescues. He brings back. There's an unspoken kindness that is going on in the book of Ruth that it's easy to miss if you're not careful. I read to you from chapter 1, verse 1. This story occurs when? In the time of the judges. We read a little bit of judges together last year and we heard that at the time of the judges, everybody did what seemed best to them. Many had forgotten God's law. Many had forgotten God's way. Some had remembered. You know who remembered? God remembered. His chesed, his kindness endured. When his people forgot their covenant faithfulness, God remembered his covenant faithfulness. In the time of the judges, when these people were just doing their thing and not doing it terribly well, marrying Moabite women and leaving Israel and going to other lands, God remembered and God stayed faithful because he's a kind Chesed, Helios, God. God remembered his promise to their ancestor Abraham. Once upon a time, God had promised the man Abraham, remember this always, I can't play tennis, but that was a lob. Land, offspring, blessing. 
in this time, you don't see a single miracle in this book. But you see God's work ahead of time to write his law to preserve land, offspring and blessing. Boaz will be the one who will be the kinsman redeemer of the land allocated to the family of Elimelech. It's not going to get lost. Abraham's family is preserved, even this little part of it. The offspring is preserved because here is Naomi bouncing little Obed on her knee. And the blessing, well, if you don't think King David's King David's kingdom was a blessing, then you haven't understood King David's, bless- uh, King David's kingdom and all that it stands for. Because from King David's kingdom would come Jesus Christ, the redeemer of every single Mara there ever was. The one who brings redemption to anyone who feels empty, bitter, alone, or isolated. There's no miracles in this book, but the power of God's kindness is fully on display. God's law is amazing. Sometimes uh, in a few weeks, those of you that have started your uh, Read the Bible in a Year challenge for another year are going to get to some really weird laws in places like Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus. And you go, what's that all about? Why does God say, when you plant your field and you harvest it, make sure you do not harvest to the very edges. Leave a bit. Why? Because God knew at some stage there'll be people like Ruth who are hungry. For the sojourner, the alien, the stranger, the foreigner among you, they can come through and they'll be able to pick that grain up and it will be a blessing to them because I haven't forgotten them. I'm kind. Remember Abraham? I promised him that the nations would be blessed through his family. So I'm mindful with my laws of strangers. I'm mindful of my law of foreigners. Why did he give that random take off his thong and spit in his face if he won't marry you, younger brother, law, back in Deuteronomy? Because he knew that sometimes family lines will need to be preserved. God has all these random laws. They seem random, but they're always there to protect the vulnerable. And they're always there to preserve his kindness. And that's what happens here in Ruth. No miracles, but the power of God's kindness is so much on display And we'll find its ultimate expression in Jesus, the one, the one Jesus who is enduring in God's love, who gives favor beyond station and focus his attention on his people to the point that before any of us said, yes, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, he had laid down his life for you. So focused on you he was. And so I want to say to us this morning as we think about this garment of kindness and putting it on, if we have known the kindness of God, which he demonstrates in Ruth, and every prayer of may God be kind like that is answered, if we've known God's kindness and his enduring and loyal love and his favor beyond station and his focused attention in Jesus, how might his kindness manifest in us and in people like me who need to grow in kindness? What might enduring, loyal love look like? I asked my wife that question, and I said, I'm grateful to Rachel who gave me a really good answer. I said, where do you reckon loyal love and enduring love breaks down? And she said, pretty quickly, offense, being offended. Ah. And uh, I'm just going to read you a text message she sent me about this. Um. She said, an obstacle, as you put it, to kindness in today's word, I think, is being offended. It means we focus on ourselves and our issues instead of being able to overlook or move through the obstacle of offense. See how romantic our relationship is? I think kind people 
are often unoffended people. When I think of examples of people who I think are kind, they seem to be able to see beyond offence. Now, when I say offence, you might be thinking about others who are offended by you. I'm talking about your offence, my offence. Can I look beyond the offence that, that I might perceive you to be causing me, look beyond that and still love you? Or do I want to buy into my own brand of cancel culture where because I find you offensive, I rub you out? Just forget about you. Or will my love, driven by kindness, jump the wall of offence and still serve you, love you, endure and be loyal? Where does kindness manifest for us in loving one another and favouring one another beyond our station or status? I love the song uh, that Greg and Jess led us in earlier today that said, I am who you say I am. Often we treat one another and ourselves like, I am what the past says I am. I am what I reckon you probably are. But maybe kindness says, I see a bigger picture of you. I see what God says you are. I see a saint of the kingdom. I see an adopted child of God. I see something pretty big here beyond your earthly station. I, I may favor go to you well beyond anything you deserve. And what does focused attention look like? Here's a rebuke for me when I'm sitting with my friends. Maybe I'll do less of this. Hey, did you see that meme about whatever? Hey, did you see what such and such posted the other day? I know I'm not the only one who does this because I sit in rooms where people do this. Focused attention can be hard sometimes. Have you ever caught yourself talking to someone or maybe they're talking to you and you notice that you look over their shoulder every now and then to see who else is coming along? How speedy is your RSVP? Sometimes the options of maybe my love could be invested somewhere else better, maybe something, it's not kind. But it could be weird, it could be awkward. Guess what? That's the barrier to overcome. That's where kindness will push through. Gee, this was an awkward time together. Yeah, endure it, push through, keep loving, keep going. That's kindness. It doesn't trip over. It doesn't run out. It doesn't get distracted. It doesn't get sidetracked. Maybe we display his kindness by showing his kindness, that endurance, that favor beyond station, that focused attention, and ultimately of speaking of the Redeemer Jesus, the one in whom embodies God's enduring love. He did not quit on us. God's favor beyond station. He graced us that we might be called the children of God. And God's focused attention that whilst we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love in this. Christ laid down his life. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book of Ruth and these lessons on kindness. Father, what awesome people we've read about in Ruth and Boaz, Naomi, Orpah. Wonderful people who have shown kindness at different stages of their life. But uh, we thank you, Father, that each one of their prayers was answered when they said, May God be kind like that. You said, Oh, don't worry, I am. And you demonstrate that kindness in redeeming and rescuing all who come to you. And so we thank you for our Lord Jesus, for his enduring love. We thank you for his favor beyond station. And we thank you for his focused attention. 
Father God, he focused his attention such that to us who have received him, he sent his own Holy Spirit to live and dwell in and amongst us. And so for all of us who are now temples, those in whom God lives with his focused attention of his own spirit, may, his, may your Holy Spirit conform us to the likeness of Christ, that people like me who need to grow in kindness, may we show kindness. May we endure in our love, not running out of puff, not slowing down, but enduring. May we not be sidetracked by the options but give focused attention. And may we certainly love beyond favour when maybe it doesn't seem quite worth it. May kindness drive our love to be all that it can be. For that is what you have done for us in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.